Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Let's pick up God one more time for Relentless. Let's um, go ahead and pray and get in the text. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for a new life. Thank you for hope. Um, we're glad that you are in us. What a privilege it is to gather with your saints, God. What a what a privilege it is to worship. What a privilege it is to dance freely to the glory of the one who unshackled us. Um, what a blessing, God. Help us through this sermon today to remember that it always was not like this. Help us to know that Help us not to take for granted the life that we have in Christ. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody say it. Amen, amen, amen. What's up, 1145? Wow, 1145 is in the building. Stop laughing at me, Kilpatrick's. All right, yeah, it's good to be in the house of God in relation to people who are God's people. This building is not his house, but we together are his house. Amen? Amen. We just use this building. Um, well, you know, um, today's message, we, we're continuing in our series through Ephesians. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that as I began to go through this, this message and just work through the text, I began to think of my past. And I began to think about some addresses. I thought about 717 Ingraham Street, Washington, D.C., 20011, uh, right off Georgia Avenue. I remember the Ibex Club. Uh, you see, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking for me. I remember Chapter 3. I remember, listen to Rare Essence. Hit, do you know what time it is? Lock it. I don't know nothing about that. I'm losing everybody right now. But I got to talk about me because I got to remember for me. You know, I, I, I remember, I remember 40, uh, 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 4300 Harewood Road off of North Capitol, right up the street from the Capitol in Washington, D.C. I'm going to tell you all about this in a second. Stay with me. I remember 14,000 Jericho Park Road in Bowie, Maryland. Now, those addresses don't mean much to you, but those addresses meant a lot to me. The first address, the D.C. address, was where I grew up. When I remember what I was and where I was, I get flashbacks based on that time period. I remember where I was spiritually and where I was not spiritually. When I look at 4300 Harewood Road, that's Archbishop John Carroll High School in Washington, D.C., um, where I went to high school and lost my ever-loving mind. Um, even though my parents were paying tuition, that's why they didn't pay for college. I remember 14,000 Jericho Park Road, because that's Bowie State University where I went to undergrad at, and I wowed out like a fool at Bowie State University. Now, I'm telling you, I had, those were my physical addresses, spiritually. But, they were all, but I also had a spiritual address. 
And every single person, no matter where you are in life, if you're a Christian, you had an address. You're not at the same address. I'm not talking about your physical address. I'm not talking about the crib you stay at now. I'm talking about the spiritual location and vocation that you walked in. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul begins loading the Christians up and giving Christians clarity on their former address. Now, what's interesting is no matter who you are, where you are, where you're from, what you are ethnically, what you are socially, what you are economically, where you've been geographically, where you are geographically, everyone has a state that is in common, and that's fallen. And here in this text, Paul is about to give us a good sermon. Paul gives us a good sermon because every now and then, you need to remember, say remember. It's funny how Paul, in chapter 1, talks about the Trinity, then he talks about intimacy with God, then he's going to mess all of that up talking about our fallenness. But I'm trying to tell you that this is not a happenstance. This is not out of the way. This is his roadmap of helping us to understand who we are in Christ by understanding who we were not without Christ. See, see, many, see many of you think you, you've been saved since your birth. You, th- you thought you were born with spiritual simulac in your mouth. You've been singing hymns from the womb, kicking mama's stomach, and, you know, God is a good God. Yeah, yes, he is. I said, God is a good God. Where Aaron? Yes, Aaron ran. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all thought, y'all thought y'all were doing that from the womb. But Paul is going to give us a reminder not to put us down, but to prop Jesus up. Because he wants us to get a sobering, he wants us to be impacted by the sobering reality of, 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 of where we were and what our identity was without Christ. And so for a little while today, I'm going to talk, talk about just for a little while, identified as unresponsive. Identified as unresponsive. We got two points today. Let's look in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following, say following, the course of this world, following, say following, the prince in power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once, we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and, 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 and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is a great sober reality to look back on because, because I remember that I was lost. See, see, some of us think that we weren't in this state, but Paul does a beautiful reality by leveling the playing field that no one was born cool spiritually. So he starts with you were dead. Let's bring us to our first point. Recognize how dead you were. I know that's simple. But you got to recognize, family, how dead you were to appreciate how much life you have now. He says you were dead. Now, he's not talking about physically dead here. Um, He's talking about spiritually dead. 
When he talks about this idea of being dead in this passage, he's talking about that which is without life and that which is not con- was not connected to life. When he talks about being dead, he's talking about the fact that man is separated from God. That means you're born not with the ability to move towards God. You're born with the ability to not like him, to not feel him, and to pray thinking your prayers got answered. But because there's no life between you and the one who you think you're talking to, you don't, you're not talking to anyone but yourself. So he, said, he, said, he says you're dead. He says you're unable to give yourself life. He's talking about spiritual life. And so here in this passage, Paul wants to begin in helping Christians to understand the lifeless void that was their life. So when you go back to, to John, that's why Jesus says you must be what? Born again. You must be born again. What did he say you must be born of? Water and what? Spirit. When he talks about this idea of us being born of both water and spirit, spirit points to the fact that every human being is born a physical being and a spiritual being. Everyone will, will, will exist eternally. But there are only two states of eternity. There's eternal death. And there's eternal life. When we were spiritually dead, we were on our way to hell in a handbasket with gasoline drawers on. We were going to burn real bad. That's what that means. And so so we did not have the ability to experience the sphere of life that God gives through the Lord Jesus Christ. It points back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 17 where the writer of Genesis is giving the fact of the fall, the reality and the truth of the fall. And during that, during that time, God is talking to Adam. God is chilling with Adam, and they start chopping it up. God starts giving them the rules of engagement. He says, listen, big man. He says, you, look at all these trees. Adam looked around. He said, eat them. Get it in with them. Pick them. Cut them down. Do whatever you want to do with them. Enjoy these trees. Eat from all of these trees. You have full freedom to enjoy all these trees. You know how free you are? You're free to to roam the rest of the earth and enjoy it, and you're able to subdue it and have other trees all over the planet. You can have cabillions of trees. But I'm going to tell you one thing. This is relational stuff. Now, I mean, you got a relationship, right, Adam? Yeah. All right? Now, the one in the middle of the garden. Don't touch it. Don't eat from it at all. All right? We we understand that, right? Yeah, I understand. He says, because in that day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Now, in the Hebrew, the English doesn't do it any justice. It can be translated. It literally says, dying, you shall die. Dying you shall die points to the fact that first off, when you eat from it, you will be immediately separated from me. So you will become, you're connected to me, me and you talk, me and you cool. Once you eat from it, you and I are not cool anymore. You're dead. Spiritually, even though you'll still be existing physically. Now, what's, since you're dying, 
you will, if you, will, you will live in a physical body that will deteriorate over time. That process of aging is called dying. But dying, you shall die. You died in your relationship to me. You die physically, but ultimately, guess what else you'll do? You'll die spiritually for eternity without me. And so God lays out and warns us that this was going to be the reality. And of course, Adam fell. When, when Paul is talking about this fact here, of the fact that every human being, we were, I like that terminology, were dead, this was the state that we were in. That means you can't bring anything to the table. That means you can't tell God how good you are. Well, you know, God, you know, I'm just saying, I've never killed anybody. I, you know, and I, I have sex with one girlfriend, all right? I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I, I don't curse people out. I go to work on time. I finish on time. I pay my bills on time. I do, I, I mean, so, so in other words, you're giving God a resume. Now, you got to be very, very careful when you give God a resume because when you give God a resume of what you've done, then what you're doing is you're being prideful. And so since you're being prideful, you're telling God the reason why you don't need God because you're already functionally acting like what a person should in a relationship with God act like without God, therefore I don't need God. And so Paul says no matter how good you think you were when you grew up in a Christian home, I'm a PK. I grew up in a Christian home. You know, I was speaking in tongues from birth. You know what I'm saying? Listen. I was prophesying at five in front of the entire congregation. I was singing on the choir. I cried one time in worship. I broke down real bad, and I was even shouting. Listen, and I felt the Holy Spirit. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, you're dead. You're dead. And so Paul wants the people of God to remember that. Then he goes from talking about that. Because he talks about this idea that no one is able to seek after God. So you ain't walking around talking about, man, I'm seeking God. Man, man he's not lost. So no one, the Bible says no one seeks after God. Every mouth is an open grave. On your best day where you think you slayed it. you you like, today, rakata, I slayed it today. Guess what? Rakata, you're just as fallen as you were before you slayed it. Because your righteousness cannot be based on you slaying it. Someone has to slay it through you, but I'm going to get to that in a second. So we are fully carnal. No matter how evil we are. What's beautiful about God is God puts restraints on how much evil we were able to execute even in the midst of how fallen we were. See, let me tell you something. If God let us live out the fullness of our deadness... We'd have tore the planet up. Forget about the ecosystem and the ozone layer and putting bottles and trash cans that have that little, them little circles, the arrows around. Listen, now we won't do that, but I'm just telling you, we would have tore planet Earth plumb up. We would have killed each other. We'd, we'd, everybody would have had a disease that we wouldn't be able to reproduce and have children. We would have burnt out the buildings, knocked down the capital. Listen, we would have been babies, kids on steroids. But God is so merciful that he puts a restraint 
on how evil our evil can be to preserve us with his patience long enough for us not to kill one another to be saved. So he says, you were dead. What were we dead in? Your trespasses and your sins. Now, this is funny because in chapter 1, he talks about we are in Christ, right? We talked about early in the passage that being in Christ is where God is operating, where God is redemptively operating. But before we had Christ, we were where God wasn't operating, specifically, not redemptively. And so we were living in our trespasses. We were living in our sins in the, in the extent of it, of both of them. Now we get to the last point. <coughs> this is going to be the longer one. And we're going to go from verse 2 to verse 3 on this one. Never forget how enslaved you were. Paul wants the Christians to not forget how enslaved we were. I told you, you can't appreciate your current identity in Christ until you understand what your identity was without Christ. So he goes down and he says, in which you once walked. I like that. I don't like that, but I like what we're about to talk about in it. He says, he, 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 says, he, he says, in which you once walked. In other words, you use this as a pathway of life. He says, following the course of this world. The word for course here is a word used for time. And the point of this is we were, we were practicing the standards of a fallen system. We were followers. We were not, even if you were a leader, you were a follower because you were under the influence And, 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 so, and so in this passage, Paul is trying to get us to understand that we followed a course. Now, he says we followed the course of something in particular. We followed the course of this world. Now, world, he's not talking about this celestial ball. I like that song we sing in the celestial ball, right? This, this celestial ball, this sphere, right? We, we, this is not talking about that. But the world is a system. A fallen system that was set in play when Adam falled. Now, this word is an interesting word. It's the word cosmos. Say cosmos. Now, this is a word that we get our word cosmetology from. You know what I'm saying? You know, every girl off the block, you know, one of the things they say they want to be is they want to do cosmetology. You know, so they go to cosmetology school, right? Learn how to do weaves and bobs and cornrows, all of that. Well, this word means in the Greek to arrange in an order. So that's why we use that for this word, to arrange in an order. Well, when you look at its use in this passage, though, it pervades with an, a, a fallen system that has order to it. In other words, there's, there's someone within the framework of that fallen system that manipulates and that organizes that system against the glory of God, the honor of God, and for the bad of man. So we walk according to the course of this world. In other words, we lived within a fallen system. Every last one of us lived according to this system of human existence. In, this, in, in the sphere of this human existence, we were totally unadulteratedly alienated for the, from the living God. And so he goes further and he says, he, he, says, he says, following the course of this world, then he says, following the prince and power of the air. Stop. Prince points, uh, of course, to ruler. Power 
points to ability to overtake, and air points to sphere of influence. That means within this world system, there is a ruler that is working as an underlord, not an overlord, because he doesn't have all power. And he, but he does have power. When this person fell from heaven, they, God didn't remove their power from them. He allowed them to keep their power, yet the power was no longer used to the glory of God, but the glory of self and, 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 the, and the moving forward of this system. So he's the prince of power to air. Now, let's explain something here. Now, I, I, have, I had a guy hand me a, um, a card one day. And he said, you know, um, Pastor Mason, you know, I run a radio station. And, I, I, you know, I want to I get you on it. But you know what, man? The um, reason why I started this radio station is because, you know what I'm saying, I, I wanted to fight against the prince and power of the air because, you know, he runs the airwaves. And I was, I, I, and, you know, I'm not dogging the brother, but that's not quite what that means. Um, he, he's more than just leading the airwaves, okay? Now, what, what, what it means when he's the prince and power of the air, there's, there's three heavens based on 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says he was taken up to the third heaven, okay? Now, there's the first, there's the top heaven, which is the holy place where God dwells in unapproachable light. That's where the saints are currently hanging out, waiting to return with him. Then there's the second heaven. That's the universe. That's what we see. We can use telescopes and carry it on uh, to look out into the universe, but then there's our atmosphere, which is the third heaven. Now, that's the now now those are physical heavens, but every level of existence has a spiritual existence behind that physical existence. In other words, third heaven is both physical and spiritual. Second heaven is both physical and spiritual. The heaven right down here is physical and spiritual. Then earth is physical and spiritual. Now. This prince and power of the air can't rule the third heaven way up top where God is because that's what God hangs out at, fully unveiled. So he only go in there if he's allowed to come in there like in Job chapter 1. Y'all with me? <laughs> now, there's physical heaven universe, but behind that physical universe is a spiritual universe, and that's fallen. Then we got the stratosphere that we look at where we look out and we see the cloud, all of that. That's a physical heaven, but it's also a spiritual heaven on earth. We have a physical plane, but within this physical plane is a spiritual plane. This prince and power of the air, because of the fallenness, has let go of the, uh, is taking over and he has, he runs all three of those areas. The second heaven, the first heaven, and planet earth. And he runs it in an invisible system that has physical impact. And he said, we followed that cat. He was our prince. We didn't have the prince of peace. We had the prince of air. And it says, not only is he the prince in power of the air, but that spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Wow. Wow. That means that every human being was both oppressed and or possessed by spirits. Now, I know I'm scaring some of y'all right now. 
but two-thirds of heaven exist under the rule of this prince in the second heaven, the first heaven, and on planet earth to wreak havoc. They don't live in hell, and he doesn't have a pitchfork like on Tom and Jerry with a tail and a boiling pot with an escalator that's pulling you down and waiting for you to come in. He, ha, ha, come on down. No, he do, he's scared to death of hell <coughs> because he doesn't own it. But he rules the stratosphere until the one who is going to return is going to redeem everything he created. However, until then, <coughs> he's allowed freedom, and he's so dumb he knows that this is a fixed fight. So, so, so in other words, he's not going to win, but he's doing everything he can within the framework of his rule to oppose the living God. And we were his buddy. We hung out with him. We, now, now, somebody else said, I ain't know nothing about no Satan. That's how he likes it. He likes you not to like and know about God, and he doesn't care if you know him or not. See, the people that walk around, I'm from the church of Satan, and, you know, got pentagrams. See, that's the, that's, see, that's the easy stuff to rebuke. The, the, the stuff that, 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 that's hardest to rebuke is the stuff that's around you that you don't know about. We were under the influence of this spirit. Now, in the first part of the passage, it said that we have been sealed by the Spirit. So we, were under the, we are under the influence now by the Holy Spirit, but before we became Christians, we were under the influence of demonic spirits, every last one of us. No matter where you thought you were in life, no matter how cool you think you are, no matter how good, how much you didn't sin, everything in your life was saturated by evil. Influence. You were a puppet. You were a flunky. You were a floozy. You were every last one of us. We were, we were groupies of the demonic spirits. What is Paul trying to tell us here? Paul's point, we were ruled by, led by, overpowered by, knowingly or mostly unknowingly ruled by the demonic underlord Satan. Unseen yet impactful, he was able to use the fallen world system he has temporary rule over as well as manipulate our fallen nature to serve the whims of his kingdom. And this kingdom is very, very organized because even Jesus, when they blasphemed him in Matthew chapter 12, blasphemed the spirit, G Jesus, this is the first time like Jesus said, okay, we're going to have to shut it down right now because y'all wilding. You can say what you want about the Father. You can say what you want about the Son. But if you, if, if, you, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you are guilty of an eternal sin. You've rejected the third witness. Therefore, there are no more witnesses to save you. Therefore, you eternally damned. So, so, but, but he said, let me, let me explain something why this is not true. He says, he said, if I cast, if Satan casts out Satan, his kingdom is divided. Satan doesn't want to use a trick like he has the power to cast out demons to show you, that, to act like he's glorifying God. He's not going to do that because his desire is to allow his kingdom rulers and his lieutenants and his captains and his majors to remain at their post, influencing every sphere of this kingdom. So he's, it's not divided. So this is a very, very organized kingdom. We're going to get to that when we get to chapter 6 and talk about the organized hierarchy of Satan's kingdom. 
But what's beautiful about this passage is Paul is trying to let Christians know where we were so that we will begin to appreciate our identity in Christ. But then he goes for it. He said, oh, you don't appreciate your identity yet? He said, okay, I got some more. He keeps going. He said, he said I ain't trying to depress you. I'm trying to encourage you. And he said, he said, he says, he says, at work, he said, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Guess who our parent, one of our parents were? We had several surrogate parents. One of them was disobedience, was our parent. Then he goes and he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Wow. This word passion here is a word epithumeo. It's, it, 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 it can be used two ways in the New Testament. Sometimes the word is used positively and sometimes negatively. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it'll say, He who desires the office of a bishop, overseer, elder, desires a good thing. That word desire there is epithumeo, lust, right? But here it's used negatively, passions or lust, talking about our affections, Talking about how we indulge. He, say, he, he, he says, he says, he says, he says, lived in the passions. That means we live with our affections, not liking God. In our affections. We had no desire for him. We didn't like worship of him. We only like worship of ourselves. Then he used that word mind. Now, if you remember back to chapter 1, <coughs> verses 15 through 17, when we was in on identified as intimate, we talked about mind having to do with um, intellect, emotions, and will. We talked about that. So what Paul is saying is, is that without Christ, we did not value what God valued. No one can tell you that they value what God valued. You didn't value what God valued until God showed his value for you. Now, passions, desires. Our desires were skewed. Our passions were skewed. Our, even at our best good, as passionate as it was, was fallen. But then volitionally, our will was in bondage. Now, you had a will, but the will couldn't execute itself in a godly way. Your will was bound to only indulge in what Satan wanted you to indulge in. So you and I were slaves. Now, listen to this. Our thinking is darkened. Our passions are darkened. And our volition, our will is darkened. Now, let me ask a question. If all of that is dark, how, if the gospel is presented to you, you can respond to it? We were totally dark. And guess what? God had to intervene or we would not be saved. You weren't going to recognize that it just gets presented to you and you're just going, wow, what's this on my face? Hold on, let me move it off. No, you could not do Let me, man, I'm starting to feel better. No, you were, you were, no, you were rejecting it. You were rejecting it like a, like, like a wide receiver running for a touchdown trying to get tackled and you're going like this at the gospel. But, but someone had to show up. And do something. They had to come and do something in you first before you could respond to the beauty of Christ.
someone had to come in, Pastor Nyron, and take off the old glasses so that you could see the gospel. But see, if he take off the old glasses just so that you could see the gospel, you still be like, but I don't have affections for it. So, so what has to happen? Your nature has to be changed so that you'll value what you're seeing. But my will isn't, bond. I'm shackled, I can't move right now. So what has to happen? You have to be taken out of bondage so that now your will now puts faith. Now, I don't have, how do I, what do I do? Well, repent. Now, now I can turn away from it because what does repent mean? Change your mind. How's my mind got changed? Because the veil got taken off and now I can see it and my mind's been changed and the shackles have been taken off. And what, but, but what do I do after I repent? He has to, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 verse 2 that he's given everyone a measure of faith. So then the Holy Spirit goes faith. But then he, he, he convicts you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You, you're like, dang, I can't believe I'm this messed up. I repent. I turn towards you and I believe in you. Now you're released from slavery. You thought you could save yourself. <laughs> the work of salvation is an entire work of God. It's an entire work of God. With your bound self. Me too. I had to see the pig pen. I, listen, when I woke up in the captivity I was in and I looked at the pig pen that I was in when he saved me, that's when I wanted to get out. No one, God doesn't send stuff your way. You see how bad it is and then you want to get saved. No, he has to save you in your mess. He doesn't just save you from it. See, 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 see he'll save you in your mess, but he wants you to see the mess that you're in. That's how you repent. You don't repent unless you see how messed up you are. You don't even, see, you don't even repent because you see just what's around you. You repent because you see what's in you. That's why you can't get saved without repentance. And you can't get saved without God's help. help. It says that we were by nature children of wrath. Now, see, I, I know we just run past that. Let's stop at wrath. Wrath means, let me tell you how, how bad off we were. Now, wrath was our daddy, okay? Now, in the Old Testament, now, Old Testament, it's a motif throughout the prophets. You'll see it mostly in the minor prophets called the day of the Lord motif. The day of the Lord motif has been going on since Adam fell. And God hovers over time in eternity looking for a time when he's going to punish man and reward the righteous. That's the day of the Lord motif. Now, that, that hidden, I mean, he's stalking us. I mean, now, and, and now somebody said, well, how he love us and stalk us? God's not schizophrenic. He can do both. He can be angry and ticked at you and love you at the same time. Wow. We'll talk about that later in another sermon. <laughs> but, 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 but what God does is, is God is holy. And he's created everything to glorify him because the Bible says in Colossians 1.16 that Christ made everything for himself. That means purposes that he's planned out in his mind for it to execute redemptively based on who he is. When that doesn't happen, his holiness says, oh, scoundy. He gets real mad. And what his holiness does, his justice says, 
I, 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 like it's justice, like pacing. Like we got to do something, you know, because I'm ready to get it in. You know, righteousness, like, yeah. Yeah, because they're not righteous. Holiness is like, I'm ready. And holiness, uh, and justice and, and, and righteousness start getting holiness real. Holiness be like, <sighs> and, 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 and then that's when the wrath comes. <clears throat> but then in eternity past, grace and mercy in the person of Christ said, hold on. Stay right there for one minute. Just, just, just stop. Just stop one minute. Let me, let me, let me. He said, okay, you better hurry up. And then, then you better hurry up. And, 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 what, and what had to happen is, is that God had to go in through Christ. And he said, okay, on the count of three, one, two, three. While he's on the cross, the wrath that has been held back for a, for a long time comes and hits Jesus full throttle. Somebody ought to hear me. And Jesus begins feeling the brunt of the wrath so hard that he says, Elohi, Elohi, lama sabastani. My God, my God, why hast thou? Because the wrath was hitting him. <laughs> and then when he realized that all of the wrath had been absorbed, I remember I was watching this hero, and, 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 and his superhero stood in front of all his power, and the power hit him, and he absorbed it. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He absorbed all of the eternal wrath and anger of God on the cross. And then, 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 then justice did like this. He stopped pacing. Righteousness said, that's what's up. Holiness says, I feel real good right about now. And wrath says, I'm going back into my holiness. And he went into incubation. But he said, I'm still mad at everybody that's not saved. And every time someone gets saved, wrath goes like this. Do you understand your identity now? God's wrath is no longer stalking you. God's justice is no longer pacing to be satisfied. His holiness is no longer demanding a verdict on you. And it no longer condemns you. Mercy be to God. Glory be to God in this place. <laughs> See, now when you worship, don't just think about how well the music's going. When you hear the wrath, when we sing that part in the song, which says, the wrath of God has been satisfied. You recognize that you were dead. Somebody ought to hear me. And you recognize that Christ absorbed all of it. All of it. There is no more wrath for you. There's no more wrath for you. You'll never experience the wrath of God. You'll never have to pay for your sins. You do get disciplined, but that's because you're a child. Children don't get wrath. They get discipline. You get a spanking. You get a smack. But you don't get thrashed. If you're here today, Maybe you're here, and you've never put your faith in the one who took on not the brunt, not the front end, not the back end, all of it. He did it in six hours. Now, if you don't trust Jesus, it'll take you an eternity to do it. You'll spend eternity in hell paying for your sins as if you're on a cross. But, you'll, but there is no, there, it's like a federal sentence. 
If you get federal, it's flat time. Ain't no good behavior, nothing. The way God's wrath will lean on you in hell, there will be no good behavior. You'll be pissed. You'll curse him. Because you'll be let alone to your wickedness forever, unveiled with God's wrath unveiled on you. Yet Jesus says, I've absorbed his wrath just for you. If you're here today, maybe you need to trust in Jesus Christ. You need to repent of your sin and turn towards mighty Jesus. Put your faith in him that the wrath that you deserve and I deserve, he took on just for you. We got some cards in the lobby. We want you to fill them out. We want to sit down and we want to talk. I'm telling you, don't leave the day. Don't leave the day without putting your confidence in no one else but the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Christians today, you should be worshiping. The death angel passed over you. <laughs> He's passed over you. Live for him. Love him more. Hate sin. Pursue him with everything you got. Because he bought you with a price. Therefore, glorify him in your mortal bodies. Father, we honor you and we bless you. Thank you because you're king. You're the true king. And one day you're going to kick that punk out of planet Earth. You're going to kick him out. I can't wait. Until then, we're going to walk with you, Lord. We're going to trust in you, Lord. We're going to pursue you. So, God, as we look at our identity, <coughs> we thank you that you've changed it for those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ the Savior. No longer, no longer alienated from the life of God, but now we get to experience it fully through the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.